Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. You've made the best decision you could possibly make by tuning your ear to the Word of God. I would love to invite you to stay updated with us on Facebook and YouTube. You can find us at Revival House Church. Father, bless this person and let the seed of the Word multiply 30, 60, and 100 times over in Jesus' name. A few weeks ago, I started on the armor of God. We've had some guests in. We've, I've preached some other things that have came up in my spirit. And I told the Lord, I said, Lord, I really want to finish this series because it was revelatory for me. For many of you, you came up to me during the beginning of this, uh, that series preaching on the armor of God. And you said, man, I've never really heard some of those things before. And it's true. You know, when the Lord began to teach me about the armor, I began to dig through. And I know there's different like resources. I'm not saying there's none, but I begin to kind of look through some of the men of God, Kenneth Hagin, Kenneth Copeland, Dr. Rodney Howard Brown, Lester Summerall, some of the old generals, and try to find good doctrine and teaching on the armor of God, and I really couldn't find much. I could hear some references, but not really uh, just an ex- uh, an extraction from that passage. And so, I say all that to say this, is that I, I haven't finished it, and I said, Lord, I'd really like to finish it. I don't want to just leave that halfway done. Uh, and so I believe we're going in that direction this morning. Hallelujah. But if not, just buckle up. I'll tell you, buckle up, it's going to be a ride. But also, if I say something that's offensive, if you look at your chair, you'll see there's no seat belts, right? There's no seat belts strapping you in and, and holding you in that chair. Nobody has to be here, but I'm thankful that you are. Hallelujah. Praise God. Ephesians chapter 6. So let's start in verse 10 here. It says, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Let me just stop right there. To every Christian, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Can you say amen? I feel this in my spirit. I want to flip over to Joshua chapter 1 as well. We're going to do a lot of flipping this morning. The Bible says this. It says, be strong and courageous, for you are the one that will lead these people to possess the land that I swore to give their ancestors that I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be strong in the Lord. Paul's almost echoing the same thing. Say, be strong in the Lord. The reason I'm saying this, this is some elementary thought, but it's really true. So many Christians, you need to stop being a baby, and you need to grab a hold of that word right there. Be strong. Say, be strong. Turn to your neighbor say, be strong. Well, you don't understand, Brother John. I've had it hard in my life. Be strong in the Lord. Take up the strength of the Lord. You may have been weak in the past, but you're not weak anymore. So listen to me. Stop being a victim. And this is coming straight out of my spirit. Stop being a victim. Quit being defeated all the time. Step into the strength of the Lord and grab his word and be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Be strong and courageous. Say, be courageous. So he goes on to say, be strong. In the Lord and in his mighty power, 
Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all, say all, the strategies of the devil. So you need to understand this up front. God does not expect us to lose any battle that we face. I've heard it said like this. It is scriptural to go through battles, but it is unscriptural to ever be defeated. Say amen. He didn't say some of the strategies of the enemy. He said you'll be able to stand firm against all, each and every strategy of the devil. So up front, you need to understand that it is not God's will or purpose for us to ever be defeated in any way whatsoever. It's not God's will as a Christian for you to struggle and fight against the devil. In fact, if you really study the Bible, you'll understand that we've already won victory over the devil. In Colossians chapter 2, it says that when Jesus hung on the cross, that God disarmed the enemy. He has no ground. He has no hook. He has no weapon to fight. Amen. The Bible says in Luke 10, 19, I've given you all authority over the power of the enemy. All authority. Say all authority. So you need to understand that. That. And the reason that I'm saying that is so many Christians run around, and that's their whole life. It's just one constant struggle after another. This person's coming against me, and, and this happened to me, and that happened to me, and this sickness came into my life, and this sudden accident and destruction came into my life. You need to understand that there's things that God gave us. He said you'll be able to stand firm against every strategy of the devil. So what I'm about to go over is the Lord said, if you'll do these specific things, you'll live immune from the hand of the enemy. Say immune. Christians don't talk like that. If you turn on Caleb, all you're going to hear is Christian songs that talk about how the devil will, you know, knock you on the ground and slap you over and, and put their, their knee to your jugular. But hallelujah, we praise a God that will help us through the storm. That's all you hear about Christianity. Am I wrong? No, I'm right. But that's not what the Bible teaches. It says, no, there's actually these specific things that you can do that will allow you to live immune from any strategy of the devil. In fact, the King James uses the word wiles, W-I-L-E-S, against all the wiles of the devil. That word wiles, it means trickery. It means deceit. And you have to understand this, that when you're blood-bought, and brought into covenant with God, the Bible says the sun holds us securely and the evil one touches us not. I want you to say this this morning. Say, the devil has no legal right to touch my life. Say, the devil has no legal right to touch my children. Say, the devil has no legal right to touch my finances. The devil has no legal right to touch anything that I own. That blood, just like the first Passover, the blood of Jesus marks the doorpost of the temple, which is our body, and that angel, that spirit, cannot come nigh our dwelling. Are you with me? Hallelujah. Man, I'm telling you, we got to stop fighting with the devil, and we need to start standing in our victory and standing in our authority. And so that word wiles, it actually means trickery. It means deception. 
And so the whole point is this, is that the enemy actually has no ability to touch anything in your life. All he can do is get us to compromise and give him access to things in our life. The devil actually has no power. It says that the the son holds us securely and the evil one touches us not. Does the devil have the power to go to Jesus and snatch anything out of his hand? Does the devil hold that authority? No. And in fact, in Ephesians chapter 1, it says that Jesus Christ is seated far above. Not just a little bit above, far above. Say far. Any spiritual ruler, power, principality in this world and in the unseen world. And in fact, it says that he was seated in that place of honor for our benefit, for the benefit of the church. Why? Because we are his body. If we are his body and he's seated far above, what does that mean? Me and you are seated far above the reach of the enemy. So all he can actually do is trick you and deceive you and make you tolerate illegal action in your life. Y'all, I'm telling you right now, if a UN soldier came knocking on your door and said, I'm taking your wife and I'm taking your children, would you say, okay, here you go? Actually, most Americans probably would today. Here's my car, here's my money, here's everything that I have. But in in all actuality, what you should say is, who are you? Those colors ain't these colors, brother. You're knocking on the wrong door. You have no legal jurisdiction to do anything. You're not not uh, an officer of the United States of America, and even if you were, you don't have the right to do that. Right? But what the devil will do is because he's, listen to me, the devil doesn't obey the word of God. The Bible says he's a man of lawlessness. That's what the Bible calls the Antichrist. He never did obey the the word of God. He doesn't obey the word of God. So he's not just going to try to play by the rules. He will try to put things on you that are illegal. He has no right. But the Bible says that if you catch the hand of the thief, he must repay seven times over everything that he stole. That's why you need to be able to recognize the hand of the enemy, catch it in action and say, hey, hold on a second, I don't have to tolerate this junk in my life. And in fact, I take authority over it and you use your faith. But it says, put on the armor of God. If you put on the armor of God, you will be able to stand firm against how many strategies? Say all, all the strategies of the devil. So here's the key then, what is the armor of God? How can we take up these pieces in our life? It says, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor. You'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Say resist. The Bible says resist the enemy, and what will happen? He will flee from you. How do you resist the enemy? According to the scripture in Ephesians 6, you resist the devil by putting on the armor of God. So if you take up the armor of God and you walk in the armor of God, the enemy won't be able to penetrate and infiltrate your life. In fact, he may try, but he will go running and screaming and fling from you. You won't go fling from him. Hallelujah. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground. Here's the armor. We've broken every piece of this down. Putting on the belt of truth. Say truth. I'm not going to preach all of this, but the first part is you got to stand in truth. And let me go ahead and say this. According to the scripture, the only way that the enemy can infiltrate our lives is if there's a compromise in any of these areas, right? Because he has no legal ground to do any of it. He has no legal right, no legal access. But the only way he can gain access is the same way that he gained access to the world that God gave to Adam. The enemy had no, the devil had no authority over the earth when it was created. 
Adam had all authority over the earth, right? But the Bible says that you become a slave to whatever you serve. When God said, don't eat of the tree, and Adam chose to disobey God and listen to the serpent who said, eat of that tree. If you do, you won't die. You'll live, and you'll become like God. Well, Adam was already like God. Isn't that so dumb? That's what the devil will always try to do is try to get you to compromise for something God's already given you. Well, I'm going to compromise, and I'm going to put work over the things of the kingdom, work over my family, work over everything else, because the devil's telling you, oh, you'll be okay, you'll prosper. Really, God's already given me prosperity. I don't have to do that. You with me this morning? But, so, whenever Adam disobeyed God and obeyed the enemy, he delegated, he, the authority was transferred over to the devil, right? So the devil has no authority in our life he, we have to give him access. So there has to be a compromise. Say compromise. So to catch you up to date, one time I was at home a few weeks ago, probably a month ago, my little daughter, Oakland, she got sick. She got a fever, 104, out of nowhere. It just came on her. I'm going to tell you, when that happens, if you're a Bible-believing Christian, it should cross your mind, this is not right. Because according to the word of God, is this my portion? No, the, the Bible says in Psalms 91, no plague will come near my dwelling. It didn't say that it would come into my dwelling and then I could cast it away. It said it wouldn't come near my dwelling. So I said this, my children aren't to be sick according to the word of God. It says that my children will be blessed. It says in the book of Exodus that I'll remove sickness from your midst. So I sat there and said, wait, this doesn't belong to us. I prayed. My wife prayed. It, and the fever went away instantly. She was fine. Two days later, she woke up eating, playing happy, goo goo gaga, crawling around. A few hours later, out of nowhere, 104, came back. And so this time I began to ask the Holy Ghost, okay, Lord, I know your word's true. I know this isn't right. So where's the problem? You're not a liar. Your word is true. Where's the problem? And the Lord took me this, and he said, I want you to go through. If you hold up the armor of God, you'll stand against all the strategies of the enemy. And the Lord spoke it to me so clear. The only way the enemy can infiltrate your life is if there's a compromise in the armor. So I begin to go through the armor. Truth. I begin to look. Lord, is my truth messed up? I preached all about truth. Say truth. You need to get truth. You need to get proper Bible doctrine. Again, if the enemy comes to bring sickness and disease into your home, but your truth is messed up and you don't even believe that Jesus paid the price for your healing, guess what? There's a compromise in your truth. There's a compromise in the armor of God, and it's a wide open hole for the enemy to gain access to your life. The next piece of the armor was righteousness. So I looked at the truth. I said, Lord, is my truth messed up? No, I believe the word. I'm standing on the word. My truth isn't messed up. Next is righteousness. Say righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. We preached about this. I begin to look. Is my righteousness messed up? And I've preached on this extensively. Not everyone is sick because they sin, but everyone that sins will eventually be sick. Because the wages of sin is death. Say death. And according to the scriptures, even the gospel, that, that sin opens up the door for the spirit of infirmity in your life. Are you with me? Jesus healed a man, and he said, go and sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. 
The Bible says when a spirit is expelled, it goes out into the wilderness searching for rest, and when it can find none, it comes back to its home, and it finds that the house is clean, swept, and in order. Then it goes and gets seven more spirits more wicked than itself, and it comes and possesses that person, that person's worse, left worse off than they were before. Come on, somebody. Go and sin no more, at least a worse thing happen to you. Put those two things together. You get deliverance from the Lord. You get healing from the Lord, but you continue to live in sin. That spirit that went out comes back, and when it comes back, it sees a wide open door, and your life and your body and your health and every area is worse off than it was before. Are you with me? So I begin to ask the Lord, Lord, is my daughter sick because there's a compromise? What if Christians did that? What if instead of when things happen, we just start changing this Bible? What if we pointed the finger and said, there's a reality. Maybe stuff's not going right in my life because I got sin in my life that I've refused to deal with. Man, how come I'm just not blessed? Well, maybe it's the pornography that you won't stop looking at. Come on, somebody. How come my kids are sick? I don't know. Maybe because you disobey the word and you come to church like once every nine weeks. Are you with me? Well, that just seems like legalism. You know, I'm going to tell you, the Christians that talk like that, they're losers. They never win souls, and they never do anything for the Lord. They sit in a dark room playing a bongo drum and think that they're having some encounter with God. Are y'all with me? Hallelujah. Reality, sin is a wide open door to the enemy. So I begin to look at my life. Lord, is there sin in my life? If there is, Lord, I'm going to deal with it, and I'm going to deal with it right now. I'm going to repent of it. I'm going to get it under the blood of Jesus. I'm going to do away with it, and I'm not going back to it. I'm going to shut that door on the, on the face of the enemy. And I look, and, and, and you know, this may offend somebody, but the Lord, I really looked in my heart, and the Lord said, ready? You ready for this? It's about to be offensive. No, there's no sin in your life right now. <gasps> what? John, that is sacrilegious. Don't you know that we're all sinners? No, we're not all sinners. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6 that the power of sin has been broken in our lives. Lord, I didn't commit adultery today. I didn't go kill anybody today. I didn't go get drunk today. I didn't go watch pornography today. I didn't lie and steal today. You know, I have been washed by the blood of Jesus, and I have been freed from the power of sin, and I'm not living in sin. Hallelujah. It's as simple as that. Well, we're all going to struggle with sin. No, you're not going to struggle with sin. Sin's power has been broken. You struggled with sin the first time because you were born of your first father, Adam, the first Adam. But when you got born again, you became the seed of the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is holy and said, be holy for I am holy. I'm going to tell you, you don't have to sin. If you've been washed in the blood of Jesus and received power from the Holy Ghost, I'm not saying that you won't ever sin, but I am saying that if you do sin, it's not because you had to, it's because you wanted to. Facts. Listen to John Bevere talk about when he was a young man. He said, I struggled with pornography. I struggled with, man, he said, I had uh, Dr. Cho, who had the largest church on planet Earth. The anointing was so strong on this man. People would get in the same taxi with him and fall out by the glory of God. Lay hands on him, and he said, I still went home and struggled with pornography. And he said, it went on for years and years. John Bevere, minister of the Lord. And he said, finally, I went to the Lord and said, Lord, why am I struggling? And the Lord told him audibly. He said, 
You're not free from it because you don't want to be free from it. You're not done playing with that devil. You're not done getting satisfaction from it. And until you hate it, you'll never get free from it. And he said instantly, the, no matter how many hands were laid on him, whenever he got that revelation, he was freed from pornography. He realized, I don't have to do this. I do this because I want to do this. You're not a sinner by nature. You're a saint. The DNA of God's on the inside of us. Can you say Amen. Hallelujah. So righteousness, the Lord says, is your truth compromised? Is your righteousness compromised? I talked about this next piece of the armor. It says this, for shoes, put on peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. I talked about how I really truly believe that that is talking about your assignment. I'm not going to get into all of that, but your assignment, go. Say shoes. The Bible said, how beautiful are the feet of those that that go carrying good news, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And I talked about this a couple weeks ago, but there is, a, there is a grace on a soul winner's life. There is a grace on a person that's on assignment. Are you with me? Apostle Paul was on the island of Malta. He got, he got struck by a poisonous viper, and he just shook it off into the fire. He didn't dance. He didn't pray. He didn't drop down on his knee and beg God and, and have to pray in tongues for 55 minutes. He shook the sucker off right into the fire. Why? Because he understood. The Lord already told me that I'm going to Jerusalem, and am I in Jerusalem right now? Nope. That means that this venom, this viper, this poison has no effect on my life, and he shook it right off into the fire. That is actually a piece of God's protection against the enemy when you're on assignment, and everything in your life flows according to your assignment. The Bible says if you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. Well, Brother John, how come I'm not prospering? Are you being obedient, and are you being obedient willingly? Are you doing what the Lord told you? Well, you know, Brother John, I believe that I was called to the ministry. I'm 50 now, and I was called when I was 20 years old. Why do you think life hasn't went well for you? You've literally done the opposite of what God told you to do for the last 30 years, and you think the blessing of the Lord's just going to flow. You must be willing and obedient. Come on, somebody. Look at Jonah. What happened? The Lord said, go to Nineveh. He turned and went the other way. Did things go well for him? Nope. Things didn't go well for him until he got his butt exactly where God told him to go and do what God told him to do. So let's keep on going here this morning. You all with me? In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. I want you to put that same verse up in the New King James. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith. Say the shield of faith. In which you will quench, I like the New King James because it says all, all the fiery darts of the enemy. Do you got it up in the New King James? One moment. Hallelujah. Y'all with me? I want you to say faith this morning. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all. Say all. All means each and every. If you look at that word in the Greek, it's the Greek word pas, P-A-S. Therefore, you can pray for anything, Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty four, 24. And if you believe that you received it, you'll have it. 
That same Greek word's used there, that word anything, it means it's the same word, pas, all things, everything, anything. You will quench. That basically means whatever the enemy throws at you, if you hold up what is known as the shield of faith, not one strategy, not one attack, not one attempt of the enemy will penetrate your life in any way whatsoever. Say faith. Man, this is important stuff here. And in fact, I'm going to come back to this, but it says you will be able to quench. That word quench in the Greek, it actually means to extinguish, like a fire extinguisher. So I want you to think about this. The enemy, he's lighting arrows, he's lighting darts, and he's pointing them, and he's shooting them at you. And literally, it's like you have a fire extinguisher that's just like, psh, 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 just knocking them out of the air before they can even touch you. That's what faith does. That's what faith does. So if that's what faith does, if faith is actually depicted as the shield, it's important that you know what faith is and how to use your faith. So actually, I'm going to give you two applications of the shield of faith this morning. What is the shield of faith? Turn over to Psalms 91. Two applications. Number one, if you came looking for something deep, you're, you're in the wrong place. I'm just preaching the simple Word of God this morning. Hallelujah. The shield of faith, look at verse 1. Those who live under the shelter or in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. So hold on to that thought. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He's my God and I trust him. He will rescue you from every trap. Say every trap. He will protect you from deadly disease. That's why I've told y'all. I mean, I even posted now. I saw people talking about, you'll not, you, know, you won't ever find a perfect church. That's true. You probably won't find a perfect church. But for me, I have like five things that if a church doesn't do, I would never go to that church if I was not a pastor. Number one, if they shut down during COVID, unless there has been public repentance with word and action, I would never step foot in that place. Why? Well, because simply, I'm not shaming you, but I'm not going to have the Bible preached to me by a person that doesn't believe what the Bible says. He will rescue you from every, every trap. Say every trap. He'll protect you from deadly disease. Oh, Pastor, Brother John, I just think you're taking that too serious. Man, I don't think that we're taking it serious enough. Are you with me? Either he'll protect me from every deadly disease or he won't. And guess what? The word of God is true. God's not a man that he should lie. He's not a man that he should change his mind. So again, no shame, no condemnation, but if I'm going to spend my time in the house of the Lord and I'm going to give my money and I'm going to give of myself to a vision, I'm going to give it to someone that, that believes what the Bible says, very simply. Y'all with me? The other things that, I, that, that are like... Major things for me, number two. Uh, obviously, do they, do they win the lost? Do they win souls? Do they give altar calls for people to rece receive Christ Jesus? Are there people getting saved? Do they lay hands on the sick? Do they teach about tithes and offerings? I want to tell you right now, it's actually the opposite. Once you get this word in, you understand what the word says. There's so many churches that are afraid to take up tithes and offerings and teach about it because you're going to offend somebody. I'm telling you, knowing what the Bible says, even what Paul clearly practiced several places, if I went into a place that said, 
we're not going to take up tithes and offerings. We're not going to teach about that. We're not going to put any attention to that. I wouldn't go back to that place because I would say, what's wrong with you? Why are you so afraid to preach the word to the people that the people may be offended? If they're offended, good. Let them get offended. Jesus didn't walk around worrying about who he offended. He was truth, and if the truth is offensive, then let it be a stumbling block. He said, I am the cornerstone, and I'm the stumbling block. That means that the same, two different people can see the same person and hear the same message, and to one person, it will be a cornerstone that they'll build their life on, and to another person, it will be a, a stumbling block. And if it needs to be a stumbling block, then hallelujah, let it be a stumbling block. Stumble over it. Stump your toe. Maybe you'll say, ouch, that hurt, and you'll repent and serve the Lord. Hallelujah. That's right. The truth will set you free. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Religion doesn't set people free. The truth sets people free. I don't want to tell the truth because what if it offends them and they don't come back? Well, I'd rather offend them and them not come back than keep them comfortable and then go to hell. Okay, so verse 4. He will cover you with his feathers. He'll shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and your protection. Say his faithful promises. There's over 8,000 promises in this word. Just say this. Let's simplify it. Say the word of God. The word of God is your armor and your protection. That's what this word is. It is a book compiled of the promises of God, the words of God, the decrees of the Lord. This word, it says, is your armor and your protection. And so go back up to verse 1. It says that those that live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. He alone's my refuge, my place of safety. He's my God, and I trust him. So the shield of faith, I'll say it to you like this. One way the shield of faith is applied is by coming under the authority of God's word. One way, there's two applications I'm giving you this morning. One way the shield of faith is applied is by coming underneath the authority of God's word. Again, this word is armor and it is protection. So there is a protection for a person that literally positions their life under the authority of this word. Are y'all with me? This is simple stuff. This isn't complex. Our kids could understand this. Amen. Basically, it's very simple. Every single person has to have a moment where you make the decision to put your life under the authority of God's word. There's so many people that get saved, but they don't stay in the faith. The devil just totally snatches them away because they came, they prayed the prayer, they got baptized, they had an encounter with the Lord. All of that's important, all of that's great, but there has to be a moment where you take your life and say, Lord, I am putting my life, my thoughts, my opinions, my desires, my hopes, my dreams, my everything under the authority of your word, and I am going to abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I am going to abide. I'm going to live in your house. I'm going to live underneath your wing. Basically what that means is I'm going to live my life in the confines of your word. If this is your word, the center aisle, I'm taking my life and I'm going to force my life to fit inside of this center aisle. And I'm going to live in this place. 
Well, what if, my, what if something in my life is contradictory to the word of God? Then you get it out of your life and you conform to the word of God. Man, I know that Jesus is the way and that we're having a real hard time, but I'm just living with somebody that I'm not married to. What should I do? You should get out of that situation and get in the confines of the word of God. Very simply. Because it is a shield. Say a shield. I'm going to give you... And that's the thing, too, is people don't understand. It's not just believing that Jesus exists. Do you understand? The Bible says even the devils believe that Jesus is the Lord. Well, I believe Jesus is the Lord. Good that you believe it. It's a fact. I believe that Jesus is real, I should say. But it's coming under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Say the lordship. Part of the lordship is he's the decision maker. You know, I was watching, this is funny, last night. You know, it's like, what is Pastor John? You know, if you thought to yourself, Saturday night, it's 10 o'clock at night. I wonder what Pastor John's doing. I bet you he's deep in fasting and prayer right now. I wasn't last night. I was actually eating pizza and watching Cinderella with my, with my daughter. And it was funny, but in Cinderella, this little movie, you know, the king makes a decree. He's trying to find a spouse for his son. And he's like, I gotta, he's got to get married. He's being a loser. He just won't give any attention to these girls. So this guy comes knocking on the door and he says, tonight, right? It's already like midday. Tonight we're having a ball and every, uh, every maiden that is eligible, basically any woman that's not married must be at this ball by the king's decree, right? So the, t- the king's decree, the king said it, whether it's convenient, not convenient, they said, well, whatever we were doing, I guess we ain't doing it anymore because the king made a decree, so we got to do what the king said. Later on in the movie, the, you know, Cinderella runs off. She loses her little golden slipper, or I guess not golden, glass slipper, ruby slipper, whatever it is, whatever movie. And so he's trying to find this woman, and he makes another decree. Every woman, every single woman in the entire kingdom has to try the shoe on, every single one, by king's decree. In fact, the stepmother didn't even want Cinderella to try it on, but she had to because the king made the decree, and what he says goes. That's the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's, it's not religion. It's not, well, I believe in Jesus, and so I'll, I'll, I'll live for him. I'll do what he says when it's convenient for me. You put your life under the shadow of the Almighty. Lord, everything goes, and I come, I come, I humble myself and place my life under your authority. So many people never do that. Why do they struggle? Well, Brother John, how come I just don't got the fire? I'm going to tell you why you don't got the fire. It ain't because God's unwilling. The Bible says that if us earthly fathers know how to give good gifts, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask him? He's willing. But the reality is God only pours out fire on sacrifice. Well, how many of you know it's not about what we do, it's about what he did. Yeah, it's about what he did, but that type of Christianity keeps people in porn addiction, it keeps people in alcoholism, it keeps this country going in the direction that it's going in. That's a lie. You, Jesus said there's only one cost for following me, and it's everything. You must deny yourself, lay down your life, pick up your cross, and follow me. How many people have actually done that? Lord, I deny my life. I'll lay down my career, my money, my everything, my time. I deny myself to follow you. That's what it means 
to come under the authority of God's word. Hallelujah. I'm going to give you three reasons why you come under the authority of God's word. Number one, because you love the Lord. Why do, I, why do I come under the authority of God's word? Because you love the Lord. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you really love me, you will keep my commandments. You will obey and keep my commandments. Can I just be honest? Well, I have a hard time doing that stuff. You don't love Jesus. If you love me, what will be the byproduct of it? You will obey me and you will keep my commandments. Say you will. And say you might, you will. Because I'm going to tell you, loving God, it compels something in you. You cannot love God. I'm, I'm not talking like, oh, yeah, I say that I love God. I'm talking in your spirit, in your heart. You love God. You love the Lord with everything in you. When a person comes to that place, it will compel them to obedience. You know why? Because you're not okay with anything else. Are y'all in here this morning? Am I preaching to somebody? Why else would you come under the authority of God's word? Because you fear the Lord. Here's another thing that's not talked about ever in the, in the American church. The fear of the Lord. Matthew 10, 28, Jesus said, don't be afraid of those that want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both your soul and body in hell. Here's the reality, also Philippians 2, 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence only, but how much more in my absence. He says this, work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling. Why do I come underneath the authority of God's word? Because I fear God. I have this realization. He's God, and I'm not God. I'm not going to wag my little finger in, in Jesus' face one day when I stand before him. I don't like the way that you did that. That's not going to happen. Are you all with me? I really think that you should have done this differently, Jesus. Guys, I'm telling you, there's a bunch of Karens. There's a not really Karen. I always tell her, I said, I know your name's Karen, but that's like a term that think that they're just going to have it their way. God is God and I'm not God. And one day, whether I choose to obey or not, I'm going to give an account to this word with what did I do with this word. And my excuses, my pleading, my crying, my, Lord, you don't understand. My husband lost his job. My wife cheated on me. You know, every excuse that a person could use of why they're not obeying the word of the Lord is not going to be validated. Because God is God. Hallelujah. Look to your neighbor and say, you're not God. Now, neighbor, look back and say, you're not God. And again, you always hear this stuff. People are like, well, you know, I tried that Christianity stuff, and it just didn't really work out for me. That's not the fear of the Lord, my friend. Because I'm going to tell you two things. Number one, you're lying. Because the Bible says, David said, I was once young and now I'm old and I've never, 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 never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread. The Lord withholds no good things from those that he loves and are called according to his purposes. Well, I tried that Christianity stuff and it just didn't work, so I just don't do it anymore, you know. You know no. Number one, I don't believe you. Number two, okay, let's say hypothetically that's true. 
which it's not because we have the written word of God, which clearly tells us otherwise what God promises he'll, he'll do if we do this. He said, I'll do this. Number two, let's say hypothetically that is the situation. I did all this stuff and it didn't work out for me. You know, at the end of the day, he's God. Whether he does nothing for me ever, he is still God. I am not the creator. I am the created. Right? Should the master look at the servant and say, thank you for your service? No, it's, oblig it's an obligation. He is the Lord. Are you all with me? We need to get this healthy reverence, this fear of the Lord. You work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling. Fearing the Lord, not being afraid, but having an understanding that I will give an account to Jesus one day. And am I going to be welcomed into his kingdom where he says, well done, my good and faithful servant, or will the Lord look at me and say, depart from me? I never even knew who you were. Get away from me, those who break my laws. Hallelujah. Don't shout me down. So why do we come under the authority of God's word? Number one, the love of because we love the Lord. Number two, because we fear the Lord. Number three, here's the amazing thing, guys, because his way is the only way that works. Hallelujah. His way is the only way that works. I'm trying to figure out how I want to say this here. Let me start with this verse, John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way. Say the way. The, way. the is singular. He didn't say, I'm one of the ways. I am the way. The truth and the life, the singular way, the singular truth and the singular life, no one can come to the Father except through me. I came to terms with this in my life. At one point, I realized this. Lord, I have no other, like, I'll say it to you like this, because I just recently turned 27 years old, and I meet people all the time. This is crazy. Look what you're doing. You're 27. How are you not out in the world drinking, partying, club hopping? Why, you know, how come you haven't had a month? Why did you get married so young and have kids, and why didn't you just live it up and play the field a little bit? Why didn't you do all of that? Because I, I went to Bible college, and I got this realization. He is the only way. That means I don't have a choice what I do, what I don't do, where I work, where I don't work, where I live, where I don't live. Jesus is the only way, the only truth, the only life. There's only one way to do this thing on planet Earth, and it's in submission and obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Are y'all with me? So his way is the only way that works. In fact, look at this, Proverbs 15, 19. It says, a lazy person's way is blocked with briars, but the path of the upright is an open highway. A lazy person's way is blocked with briars, but the path of the upright is an open highway. I remember when I moved to East Texas, I remember living in New Mexico. You know, I lived in the desert, but there was some trees in New Mexico. You could go to the mountains. There was a little bit of trees up there. And I remember coming to East Texas, and I just, like, had this thought, man, I, I can picture it now, you know. Me and my wife, nice autumn day. We'll just go. We're going on this land. There's, like, 200 acres of land. We'll just go walking through the woods, just having a nice walk. And I pictured, you know, and I guess what? I moved here, and very quickly I figured out that was not the situation. 
There's vines, there's bushes. I mean, man, it's like you need to rent heavy machinery to go get a football out of the bushes. Vines, thorns, you can't. I remember one time I went walking out there trying to look for something, and, I mean, it's just like, you know, you're just getting cut up. It says, the lazy person's way is blocked with briars. Briars, they're these thorns, but the path of the upright is an open highway. Won't you think about this field? I mean, it's just covered in briars. But there's one way where it, it, most people are like that. Why? Why is it that I just can't seem to move forward? Every step that you take, you're just getting poked, you're getting prodded, you're getting set back, you're getting beat up, you're getting bruised, you're being cut up, you're being attacked by the enemy because there's only one single way that is a wide open highway and Jesus Christ is that way. Guys, it's so simple. Come unto the obedience of the word of God. I'll give you some very practical examples, but first, let me say this. Isaiah 26, 7 through 8. For those that are righteous, look at this. The way is not steep and rough. Man, life is hard. You're not doing something right if life is just hard all the time. Because it says the way of the righteous is not steep, it's not rough. You are a God who does what is right, and you smooth out the path ahead of them. There's a path for your life that God's purpose, he's planned for you. Not only, there's, okay, I'll talk about this. There is a general path for every person that's already been carved out. It's the word of God. Your life will never be blessed until you come into obedience to the word of God. Everyone says, oh, hallelujah, amen. Again, and I'm not talking to you. I know I'm preaching to the, to the choir here. But the average Christian attends church once every six weeks. Guys, that's not a suggestional thing in the Bible. Hebrews 10, 25, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Some people are lethargic. Some people don't think it's that important. But you don't be like that. Do not neglect meeting together as some people do. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. In Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, this was the blueprint of the church. All, say all, each and every believer devoted themselves, gave themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Say prayer. Do you think that it's weird and it's a problem that a church can have prayer services and like 30% of the people come to prayer? What's going on in people's mind where they think, I don't have to give myself to those things? What's going on in people's mind where you're taking communion? I don't think that I need to be a part of that. You're not coming underneath the total lordship and the authority of the word of God. Are y'all with me? Am I stomping on too many toes? Am I being too real? Am I being too honest? Jesus said, seek first. Say first. Above all else, put the kingdom, put the word first and live righteously and everything else will be added unto you. So many excuses. Well, I couldn't come to church. We had a soccer thing going on. Are you kidding me? That's what the American church is doing and then we wonder why. Statistically, 85% of teenagers drop out of church once they graduate high school. 
Why? All they've ever seen is a form of godliness but deny the power of it. Put God first. Say first. Guess what that means? On Sunday morning, guess where I'm at? I'm in the house of the Lord. I'm transplanted in the house of the Lord, and even in my old age, I'll grow strong, I'll be green, I'll have vitality, because that comes with being transplanted and rooted in the house of the Lord. Are you with me? These aren't suggestions. Hallelujah. You've got to just make that decision. And it's like, why, Lord, why won't you just let me move off of this? Because people need to hear it. You need to make that decision. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You do what you want, but you've got to decide at some point, this is what I'm going to do. Men, you better step up and realize you are the authority of your household. Amen. All the women were like, eh, you know, it's true. It's the truth. You need to raise your children up in the ways of the Lord, where it's not optional. You say, well, my kid, they don't really feel like going to church. What do kids feel like doing that's good 99% of the time? Children aren't, left, aren't, be, aren't to be making decisions. The Bible says, train your child up while they're young in the way that they shall go. And when they're older, they won't depart from it. If you say, well, I don't really like this, I don't like that, I'm going to be honest with you. It's probably be, our kids are doing stuff that they were taught. I didn't teach them that. But did we put God first? Come on, somebody. I told my wife, I said, everybody else can be lethargic as they want. My daughter, she's going to be at every meeting, every revival meeting. We have revival all the time as my child grows up. Daddy, my friends are going out to get ice cream. Well, good for your friends. You ain't your friends. Don't you think she'll hate the Lord? No, I think she'll love the Lord. I'll tell you, my kid's going to be at Dr. Rodney Howard Brown's two times a year, minimal. Why? Put first the kingdom above all things. Are you with me? Are you all with me? Look at Matthew chapter 6. John, this ain't the way you preach if you want to build your church. People are going to leave. I don't like that. That preacher made me feel like I'm actually obligated to some things. Crazy, huh? But yet when we stand before Jesus, there will be people, it says in the book of Revelation, to the seven churches, he will literally look at you, some of them, and say, I have seen the things that you do, and I have found that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Wow, there's actually things that God requires us to do with our actions. Look at Matthew chapter 5, 6. It says this. These are kind of fundamentals of Christianity. Verse 2, when you give, say when. Does it say if? No, it doesn't say. Well, how many of you know, as Christians, we don't really... Give of the tithe. We don't have to. Jesus was the tithe for us. We don't have to give. He didn't say if you give. He said when. When means it wasn't even a thought in his mind of something I'll decide or not decide to do. When you give. Say when. Not if you give. Look, go on. Look at verse 5. 
when you pray. Not if you pray, say when you pray. Did he at all make it seem like praying would be this optional thing? Well, if you decide that you feel like it and it fits in your schedule and it's accommodating and convenient. No, he said when you pray. So what does that tell you? Up front, Jesus expects Christians to give. Jesus expects Christians to pray. Look over at verse 7. I'm sorry, verse 16. When you fast. What? If? No, is that what he said? If you fast? When you fast. When you give, when you pray, when you fast, there were things that Jesus expected. Well, are we taking that out of context? Are we? The New Testament church devoted themselves to prayer, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, to the apostles' teaching. They made the kingdom first priority in their life. My whole point in telling you this is that there is a shield that comes around your life when you walk in obedience to God's word. Stop bucking the word and humble yourself and begin to cause every part of your life that's out of alignment to come into alignment with the word of God. And you will watch things flow more smoothly than they've ever flowed in your entire life. Things that you said I tried to do in my flesh for 10 years, you'll watch God supernaturally add it to you in just a moment because the 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 pathway says of the wicked of the lazy of the unrighteous it's filled with briars but the pathway of the righteous is a wide open highway it's smooth it's not steep hallelujah look at Joshua chapter 1 You can accuse me of a lot of things, but accusing me of not preaching out of the Bible is not one of those things. Pastor John, I was really expecting you to just maybe read one or two verses and give me 25 minutes of your commentary. And Wrong place. <laughs> Surprise. Hallelujah. Joshua chapter 1. It says this in verse 5. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. How many? Say no one. Say no one. Will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. Now look at what this was contingent upon. Number verse 6, be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors that I'd give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you, do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Now, what should I do as a Christian? Get in this word, get this word in you, and then get, get radical about getting your life to fit inside the word and don't deviate from it, not even a little bit. Stay on the path. Look what he said, don't deviate it from it. Then, say then. You will be successful in everything that you do. Wow, so Jesus is the only way. 
Why do we obey the word? Because it's the only way that works. Not only will it make things wide open, not only will it be a path that's already carved in front of you, not only will it be a highway that's leveled out and smooth, he says if you do it, it will cause success to come to you. The only way to have success in this world is by obedience to the word of God. Say radical obedience. Doesn't it make more sense to not come to prayer on Sunday night and go do something else? It may make more sense in your flesh, but I'm telling you, line yourself up with the word of God and watch what God will do for you. Then you'll be successful. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so that you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all that you do. So basically, God's telling Joshua here, here's a promise. Take my word, get it in you, get it in your eyes, get it in your heart, and do not deviate from it. You'll be successful and you'll prosper. But not only that, he said in verse 5, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Look, listen to this. Put God's... God's word puts you on a path that makes you immune from your enemy. Say immune. It makes you immune. So basically on this path, the Lord's saying that if you'll obey, it doesn't matter who comes against you, no one will be able to stand against you. They'll attack you from one direction and scatter from you in seven. Hallelujah. That is powerful to me. Thank you, Jesus. Maybe that's powerful to me being a, conf- a confrontational ministry that I have people coming against me. It seems like every time I turn around. But guess what? As long as I stay in the confines of the word of God, he said no one will stand against you. No weapon against you will prosper. God's word is a shield. Say a shield. Hallelujah. Obey the word and you'll place your life on a path that is straight, easy, and smooth. Jesus' name. Now I want to end with this. I'm going to flip to a few more passages, but I told you there's two-fold application. You guys want to give me about 15 more minutes? Did y'all come here for a McDonald's Big Mac or did you come here to feast on the word of God? There's two applications to the shield of faith. Number one. I told you that when you come underneath the authority of God's word, it will, it will function as a shield for free. And I mean, I could keep going on and on and on about that, but just think about that. Think how much life would be, better life would be, if you don't cheat on your spouse. Wow, how much more blessed will I be if I'm not an alcoholic? How much more blessed will I be not being a drug addict? How much more blessed will I be if I'm not a thief and I don't steal from people and I'm not running from the... God's word will, is a shield for those that walk according to it. Hallelujah. Now, here's the second application. It says, holding up the shield of faith with which you'll quench every fiery dart of the enemy. So faith is a shield. And so I want to just talk to you for just a moment. You have to apply your faith in order for it to function as a shield. Say apply. A lot of Christians, they, don't, they may have faith, but they don't know how to apply their faith. Amen. 
It's important that you get faith. Where does faith come from? Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You need to get faith. What's happening in this room right now? You're getting faith. You've just heard so many promises spewed at you that you don't have to be broke. You don't have to struggle. It doesn't have to be hard. You don't have to be defeated. You don't have to be sick. There's all this faith being built up on the inside of you, but now you need to know practically how do I use that faith? And when you use it, it says that it will be a shield and it will quench every fiery dart of the enemy. So how do you use your faith? Just quickly look at Mark eleven twenty four. If you're a member of this church, you know this. Kenneth Hagin taught this. But I'm just going to refresh your memory. Mark 11, 22 through 24. Have faith in God. The original Greek there doesn't have the word in. It just says have dios pistis. The word for God is dios, theos, theos. The word for faith is pistis. It just has have theos pistis, have God faith. So get that. It doesn't say have faith in God. It's saying have God faith, having faith, uh, God-like faith, having faith like God has. I tell you the truth, if you'll have that God faith, you can say, say, say. In fact, I want you to go ahead and put it up in the New King James for me. New King James, 23 through 24. I'll read it to you in the NLT till they get it up. Oh, it's up there. Surely I say to you, whoever says, say says. Highlight that in your Bible. If you have that word in your Bible, says. Highlight it, circle it. I'm teaching you how to use your faith. Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believe those things which he what? Says will be done. He will have whatever he what? Say says. Say says. You need to get this. Faith is voice activated. How do you use your faith? You have to speak. You have to say the word of God. How do you take up a shield of faith when the enemy's firing darts against you? How do you walk immune? You have to use your words to quench the fiery darts of the enemy. Why do most Christians struggle? Because they stay silent. Why do most Christians, yeah, or they complain, and I'll get, about, get to that in just a moment. Most Christians also struggle is because they think, man, I sure, they think in their head, I sure wish this mountain would move. But is that what he said? Whoever, whoever thinks to this mountain be removed? No, whoever says to this mountain. Whoever wishes that this mountain, no. You have to speak to your problems. Write that down this morning. Say, I must speak to my problems. What are you facing in your life? Is it physical symptoms in your body? You have to speak to those symptoms. I sure just wish that I just didn't feel this way. I've felt this way the last 15 years. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Really, all you're doing is crying about the mountain. You're not speaking to it. Be whole back in Jesus' name. Be whole heart in Jesus' name. Be clean blood in the name of Jesus. You have to speak the word of God to the darts of the enemy. You have to counter the attack with the word. That's good right there. You need to counter the attack with the word. 
Why do most Christians just stay in this perpetual place of getting attacked? It's because the enemy's throwing punches and you're just sitting there. And you never open your mouth and stand in your authority and speak. Well, I don't want to do that in my home because what if my wife thinks that that's weird? What if my husband thinks that I'm strange? What, what's wrong with you? Who cares? What if, what are you, maybe your wife needs to hear you get some spiritual cojones and stand up in your own household that she's in the bedroom and all of a sudden she says, Satan! You take your hands off of this house in Jesus' name. I don't allow this any longer. Woo, she'll go, oh, my gosh. There's the man of God I was praying for. Your kids get sick. I'm really sorry that you're feeling sick. I wish that you weren't feeling like that today. Like, what good does that do for anybody? Why don't you, as a man of the house, go lay your hands on, the, on your kid, anoint him with oil. I curse this in Jesus' name. Come out right now. Come off. I command this to break. Lay your hands on your wife. Wives, lay your hands on your children. Lay your hands on your husband. I do that. If I've ever had a fever, I tell my wife, I'll be, and I'm telling you that I have to walk in faith for healing because when, when I have symptoms, when I, in the past, had gotten sick, I'm a baby. I just want to lay in bed, and I'm just like, oh, 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 you know. That's what my flesh wants to do. Thank God I have a godly wife. She's a fireball. She doesn't let me just lay in bed. Ooh, ooh. She'll sit there and tell me, get up. Go outside. Go for a walk. Use your faith. Where's your faith, honey? <laughs> Get up. I'll come pray for me in Jesus' name. Say, say, say. Say. Hallelujah. You must speak to the mountain. Look at James 3, 1 through 6. Brother John, we're going to another long service. I got my friends here from Houston. They didn't come here to hear me preach a 15-minute sermon. Look what the Bible says in the book of James. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers. For we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes. But if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and also control ourselves in every other way. Look at that. If you can control your tongue, you will be perfect in every other way. You ever think about that? Maybe your sin problem is actually sprouted from your words that come out of your mouth, your confession. If you could learn to tame this thing, the Bible says you'd be holy and perfect just like Jesus is. But look at this. So he goes on to say, we can make a large horse go wherever we want by, by the means of a small bit in its mouth. So just like a horse is led by a bit, you jerk the bit this way, the horse goes this way. You jerk it this way, the horse goes that way. You pull it back, the horse goes back. The same way that you can direct a large horse. You with me? 
Even a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. Hold on to that thought. In the same way, the tongue, say the tongue, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. I want to stop right there and get this in you. The tongue is like the bit that makes the horse go in the direction in which it's pulled. Listen to me. The Bible is saying that your life will not follow what you want. Your life will follow your words. Wherever your words go, that's where your life is going to go. Parents, wherever your words go, that's where your children's lives are going to go. So what does that mean? You need to learn to activate your faith and begin to speak the word of God over your life, over your household, over your family. Brother John, we're struggling financially. Why are you talking like that? Why don't you start speaking Galatians chapter 3 over your house? We have the blessing of Abraham. The same blessing God promised to Abraham, he's given to me. Children, you will be blessed in Jesus' name. We may be here today, but we're not staying here very long. Hallelujah. Because the plans that God has for me is to prosper me and give me a hope and a future and life abundantly. And I will be a blessed purple, a blessed person, a blessed people, exalted high above the nations of the earth. Are y'all with me? It says the same way that a ship is turned and a huge horse is turned, the tongue, say the tongue, your life will go in the direction of your tongue. So if you don't like your life, guess what? Stop blaming God and stop blaming the person down the street. Your life is a product of your words. And your words are actually just a product of what's in your heart for the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. If you speak nothing but negativity, it's because you have no faith in your heart whatsoever. You just have nothing but doubt, negativity, and unbelief. And so, therefore, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Are you all with me? And I love this. It says, even though the winds are strong, that the small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. Guess what? That's saying that the ship's course is not determined by the wind. It's determined by the rudder. Your life is not going to be, uh, the outcome of your life is not going to be determined by the storms that you face. It's going to be determined by the confession and the faith that you release. That means that it's possible to be right in the middle of winds raging, but yet even though the winds are raging, here you are just chugging along, going right through it like nothing. How do you do that? By releasing your faith, by releasing your words, the word of the Lord over your life. Most Christians don't do this at all, but yet this is a shield against the enemy. Hallelujah. Look at Proverbs 18, 20 through 21. A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. Get out of the mindset that your, your, your house will be filled by the work of your hand. That's not what the Bible says. Although working is good, hard working is biblical. And God will bless a hardworking man and a hardworking woman. But you need to get in this greater reality. Adam wasn't blessed by his hard work. That came after the curse. Before that, Adam was blessed, and he used the authority of his words. You're a fish. You're a donkey. You're a giraffe. Fish come. Bird fly. Tree produce. He had authority just like 
we saw displayed in the life of Jesus Christ. So it says, a man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his what? Say his mouth. Mouth. Your life will be filled with the things that you, the, the words that you release. Hallelujah. That means do I need to keep working hard? Yeah, keep working hard, but now join your hard work with faith, with the releasing of your faith, and watch your stomach be filled by the words of your mouth. From the produce of his lips he shall be filled. Look at this. Death and life are in the power of what? God's hand. Death and life are determined by God's sovereign will, and when you die, if you're 15 years old and your child dies, I guess it's just because the Lord needed another angel in heaven. Is that what the Bible says? No, death and life is in the power of the tongue. I'm going to tell you something. If you get sick, the difference between living and dying will be your confession of faith. Well, I guess I'm just old. I've, I've made mistakes, and now I'm going to pay for those mistakes, and that's just part of it. I drank, and now I got liver problems, and so I'm going to die, and that's just my portion. Guess what? Death and life are in the power of your tongue. You need to start releasing the word of God, releasing your faith in the promises of God. Say, I will live. I will not die. In Jesus' name. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So very simply, how do you use your faith? Faith is speaking. Say, faith is speaking. Go back and look at Ephesians 6. It says, hold up the shield of faith with which will quench every fiery dart of the enemy. Again, that word quench, it means to extinguish. So what does that mean? Every dart that the enemy shoots at you, what must you do? Use your words and strike it down before it ever gets to you. Use your words, and like a fire extinguisher, it knocked that sucker right out of the air. Hallelujah. The enemy comes and he starts whispering these things. You say, but the word of the Lord says. Man, you're in all this debt, and he's over here preaching about how you'll lend to many and borrow from none. I don't see how that's possible. Stop Mimicking the voice of the enemy. What does God's word say about you? Hallelujah. Also say this too, under the point of your life will follow directions of your word. So stop complaining about everything. Get complaining out of your mouth. In fact, complaining is what kept the Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years. They mumbled, they grumbled, they complained. And they would not allow themselves to become the people of faith God was trying to make them become in order to possess the promised land. They wouldn't learn the lesson. They wouldn't just rely on God. They wouldn't just trust. They just complain. We don't got enough food. We don't got enough drink. The food you gave us, now we're getting tired of it. And they would not become people of faith. And so, therefore, they could not possess the promised land because it was going to take faith to possess the promises of God. Hallelujah. Say, use your faith. This is a simple message this morning, isn't it? Amen. So we must speak the word of God defensively. I'm going to give you a simple application of this. I'm going to end with this this morning. You know, the Bible says this in Psalms 84, 11, how you need to release your faith, even in small things. It says, for the Lord God amplified For the Lord God is a sun and a shield, 
The Lord bestows grace and favor and honor. I want you to say favor. No good thing will he withhold from those that walk up rightly. So this is how we released our faith. This is just a funny story for you to illustrate this. We were going on our vacation last last Sunday after service. We get in the in the car. We're driving down the road. Great time. We're excited. We're going to Florida. And all of a sudden, somebody mentions, yeah, Miss Kim, and somebody was talking about how there's going to be rain all week long where you're going. And I thought, no stinking way. We pull up the weather app, and sure enough, we look at the radar, and it's like a monsoon coming in from the, from the Gulf, blowing up. It's like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, rain, 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 90%, 100% rain. And, and we're sitting there, and I'm thinking, and I just think to myself, this ain't right. I was like, this ain't right. We work hard for you, Lord. There ain't no way I'm going over to this beach and sitting in my room all week long because it's raining outside. And so we just stood on the word right there in the car. We just joined our faith, and we said we release our faith right now. We command this this rain, you blow away, and you come to East Texas in the name of Jesus Christ, that we're coming to stay, and you're you're leaving in Jesus' name. And then I, the Lord brought this verse up to me about how he gives favor. And I said, Lord, me going to the beach for a week and getting rained out, that's the opposite of favor. That is not favor. And favor is my portion. And so favor is what I'm going to have. And I'm telling you guys, all week long, it's like the rain was playing a keep away from us. We went out. And it, 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 it was like literally so many times we went out to the beach the first time. And, and the clouds would start rolling in, and it would, we could literally see it raining to our right, see it raining to our left, but right there were the beach that we were on, no rain. We're swimming, we're having a good old time, and then we decide, you know what, I think we're done. We're going to go do something else. We'd get out and walk inside, and I'm telling you, the minute that we did, the rain would start coming down. It rained right where we were at. We went out to this place called Shell Island. They take you out on a little uh, boat to this little secluded island. And I mean, it was pouring down rain literally all around us. And we're sitting there, and I'm standing on that word. No, Lord, we have your favor. We did not pay $200 to get on this ferry to come to this island to get rained out. In Jesus' name, I have the favor of the Lord. And we sat there, we watched the rain go all the way around us, never sprinkled on us at all. It just like, it just literally came around that island and just, just kept going. It was absolutely wonderful. All week long, we just saw testimonies like that. Like at one point, we went down to this boardwalk, one more story, with the rain. It was great. We're walking down this boardwalk. We're having fun, and we decide, you know, the clouds are coming in. We decide we're going to stop and go get some lunch. So we go into this restaurant. We start eating, and, and the words came out of my mouth because it just the wind started blowing, and I said, it'll rain while we're in this restaurant, and by the time we get done eating, it's going to stop raining. And sure enough, we sat down, and I mean, it rained, it rained, it, ra- it was pouring. And about five minutes before we got up, the rain just completely stopped, and we were able to go out on the boardwalk, and it was playing keep away. Hallelujah. And it's really true, but that's like you look at when Moses held up his staff and the Red Sea parted. The obstacle could not stand in the glory of God. When you carry the glory, the anointing, the word of God and release your faith, every obstacle of the enemy, it'll just begin to literally flee around you. Are you with me this morning? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, say hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
Praise you, Jesus. Just lift your hands to the Lord. Father, bless these people in the mighty name of Jesus with an impartation from your word. I thank you for faith in Jesus' name. I thank you for miracles, testimonies in the mighty name of Jesus. No more struggle in Jesus' name. And I decree it that the last struggle that they had will be the last struggle that they have. That they may be attacked, but they'll never be defeated again in the name of Jesus. No more defeat in this room. Victory to victory, strength to strength, glory to glory, testimony to testimony in Jesus' name. And I just decreed over these people. I felt the anointing on it. But, Lord, I thank you that as they come into submission to your word, that you go out in front of them and you level out the mountain that's standing in front of them, that you make their path smooth, that their path will not be blocked with briars and with obstacles, but it will be a wide open highway in the name of Jesus, that they'll put their feet on that highway and they will run and run and run and run with nothing holding them back and nothing more than the wind to their back pushing them forward in the mighty name of Jesus. Every struggle undone. I release my faith. Every fiery dart of the enemy financially that's come against you, I curse it this morning in Jesus' name. I strike it down by the word of the Lord in the mighty name of Jesus. Come on, give the Lord a shout of praise if you believe that and receive it. Lord, bless them for being hearers of the word in Jesus' name. If you would like to sow a seed or partner with this work that the Lord is doing, check out the description of this podcast or go to www.rhctx.com forward slash give. You can find all the ways to give on that page. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. Until next time, this is John Wallace.